0: this episode of the paddock pass podcast is brought to you by renthal street components over 800 street fitments for handbars, bar mounts clip-ons brake pads chains and sprockets hello and welcome to the paddock pass podcast brought to you by renthal street check out renthal.com for chains sprockets And lots of other parts for your bikes. On today's Podic Pass podcast, myself, Steve English and Gordon Ritchie are going to look back at the last round of the 2023 World SBK season. But we're also going to be looking forward to 2024 because we've already had the first two days of testing and Gordo, the season just never sleeps. There's always something to move on to, isn't there?
1: Yeah, it's amazing how uh, we wrapped one thing up and remember we hadn't quite had the championship done before we got to Jerez. Then we got the championship done we had all the celebrations one day off and then straight back into it with more changes this year than you can really imagine. We didn't get Top Rack riding for BMW, as he will this year, but we got an awful lot of other people. Um, and it was great to see. It was Anything new always gets you going when you're when you've been doing it for a few years and there's a lot of changes and a lot of exciting changes in the winter. And even Alvaro, the great champion from this year, uh, is going to have to carry some weight next year, and he had to scratch his head a bit um, during the test. So, yeah, changes. Uh, uh, any change is good.
0: What about you for the winter, Gordo? Are you going to be at any of the, the tests down in Harath and Portimao, or how are you fixed?
1: Well, I couldn't be at that one just because I've got a couple of books to finish. Um, I'm finishing off Motocourse, the big annual, and i also write the official uh, World SBK book as well. So I'm having to finish those off. So I didn't go, couldn't go, actually, to those tests. I could have stayed there and I'd have been sitting in the media centre all day writing (laughs) and checking things for the book. So I decided that this one wasn't for me. But yeah, I will get to some in the winter Um, and maybe just the one where everybody can test together. Although in the winter, that's difficult. eh? Not everybody does every winter test. Um, But yeah, I I plan to go to some, but I do want to have a proper winter this year. I've got a lot of things to do, moving the office to the house. There's a few tasks to be done that a busy year doesn't let you do when you want to do them. So the time is now, Steve. But yeah, I'll go
0: testing. Just don't know where. The next test in a couple of weeks in Hareth, I'll be down at that one. Then there's the top rack test that you mentioned, the 5th of December in Portimao, 6th and 7th in Jareth or, or something around those days. Might It be, might be plus or minus one day for them, but uh, then it's the big test in January two days in Jerez, two days in Portimao, and then we just go straight to Australia. So really, we're already into the thick of it. But let's rewind it back a little bit before that test, Gordo, and talk about last race weekend as well, because Alvaro Bautista finally crowned the world champion. There was no real doubt about that going into this weekend. He needed two points, so he was always going to win the championship. But on Friday, he had a crash, and uh, it could easily have been one of those situations where maybe you know, something could have happened, but as it was for Bautista, got across the line a very deserving champion uh, Ducati, very deserving to win all the championships as well, they ended up with the team's championship, manufacturer's championship and the rider's championship with Bautista
1: Yeah, it's been another one of those years for Ducati um, and for all the right reasons, they're, they're, they're taking the job seriously they bring a factory team they've got signed two good riders one of whom is definitely into the territory of being one of the greats um, and they didn't sweep all before them as much as we think they did. Yeah, when you look at the, the wins for Batista, it's ridiculous. However, it did take until the final round to win that championship for the Riders' Championship, even if it was only two points they had to gain. But the year before, it wasn't the case. And most years, when somebody describes a dominant champion, they, they win two or three rounds before the end. So it was a much more closely contested, on-track season than you imagine wrapped up in exactly that fashion, with some great racing at her death. And obviously the psychodrama at the end of, you know, touching green paint and the internet going mental, um and understandably so, at the injustice of it all. However, the, that was a race one that was lost by the guy who crossed the line first. If you don't go on the green, you don't get pinged. And unfortunately controversial subject Toprak's done this quite a few times in his career so I've got every sympathy for him but how many times has he been pinged um, for going on Green paint?
0: Far too many times when you look at it there's obviously Magni Corps, there was the one in Assen as well himself and Locatelli both getting done on the last lap of the Lashkin in Assen and then the exact same thing happened on Sunday as well. Both of them being done on, on the last lap. That ended up giving Ducati that team's trophy. Or, or Sorry, the Aruba IT Ducati team the team's trophy. And Gordo, when you look at it, Bautista, pole position, three wins. It looks like a perfect weekend, but that really doesn't tell the story of what we saw from Toprak, who ended up qualifying on the third row of the grid, missed out on a podium in a in a Super pole race. First time he's missed out on the podium all year in a race he finished. And then he bounced back in race two but could only finish second as it was So the tail of the tape doesn't really make for great reading but I'll tell you what, what we saw Sunday afternoon was just something special.
1: People were talking about that as one of the best races ever and I can't argue with that point, I mean there's always ones you forget the unforgettable races that you still manage to forget that you suddenly go oh yeah what about such and such in 1992 Um but yeah that was amazing entertainment, everybody engaged full commitment and to Batista's great credit the wee man went for it he didn't, even after that scare as you mentioned earlier, he still went for it in race 1 and the Super Bowl race and that final race, he didn't need to do any of that, in front of his home fans he obviously wanted to put on a show after all the criticism that people gave him he wanted to put on a show and show how good he can be and he got beat in that final race in the race, but circumstances gave him the, the, the race win so we did, it was one of those, was the race weekend even better because of the way it ended, because it was even more dramatic, or was it much worse because it left a bit of a sour taste with a lot of people because, oh, well, hold on, stupid green paint. But the rules are the rules. Follow them. If a guy had oversized pistons and still won the race, would he still get the race win? No. If he'd knocked somebody off in the last corner, you know, and then pinged him and penalised and said, no, no, you can't take the race win because you did it, would you be complaining? That's the thing, it ended up being entertainment all the way, even the bad bits were good, is the way I look at it. Yeah. It was a great weekend and Johnny got a podium, fell off while leading, and his last Kawasaki race went, you know, we could talk about that weekend for hours, we're not going to,
0: but we could. I, I tell you what, like, we'll come back to Johnny, but uh, the top rack Bautista scrap, top rack just showed again just how unbelievably special he is as a rider, because This was another race where he had no right mid-race to be able to hold people off. He looked so much slower than them at one stage. His pace dropped off by a second and a half because all he was doing was defend, defend, defend. But Toprak's so amazing because he can defend. And we saw once Bautista was in front in race one, you couldn't attack him back because you couldn't get close enough. But for Toprak, as long as Bautista was behind him, the straights aren't long enough here to be able to get clear of him and open up a gap. So we saw that Toprak really had to just be at his best. And I thought that those fast rights at the end of the lap, we saw just how quick Bautista was through there. He had the bike really working well. But Toprak, if you're going to outbreak him, I don't really know how you can do it because he breaks so late anyway, but then he just carries that lever all the way into the corner, increasing the pressure, and he's somehow able to hold those really tight lines. I thought like the last corner, Gordo... How many times does Batista get past him? And there is what? There is a top rack sized bike on the inside each time. It really was amazing to see what he could do.
1: Yeah, top rack is, uh, as the Australians say, the original schoolyard genius. The guy's talent is unbelievable. He practices non stop and passing riders all the time in every possible way of doing it. Um, and the last corner was every lap, Batista up the inside, and then top rack catching him on a cutback. But you say normally then there's a bit of a scrap for the outside, but basically Toprak found a way of staying in front every time. You know, it does change and mold the laws of physics to his own will sometimes. And it's fabulous to see. And there is absolutely no one that I can think that doesn't it's not just races like that that has ever raced like that. I don't remember anybody with quite that style. We are looking at the same level of significance in overall motorcycle racing. More, I, I might be getting carried away, but it's Friday, so that's fine. Um, I think, ultimately, we're seeing the equivalent of somebody inventing knee down or elbow down or hanging off or another one of these things, using the tail to steer, except it's all been happening on the front. The front is where you don't go because it's too risky. And look at him, he's he's just playing with it.
0: It's one of those situations, Gordo, where Valentino Rossi never really did anything in any individual area that was absolutely unbelievable, that other riders couldn't do. They'd look at his data and they could understand it. Mark Marquez, when he jumped onto a MotoGP bike, he did things people couldn't understand. Casey Stoner did things people couldn't replicate. Top Rack does things that people can't replicate. That's where it was interesting when Johnny jumped onto the Yamaha. We're going to jump ahead a little bit now. But when Johnny jumped onto the Yamaha, he said, obviously you don't have to ride the bike like Top Rack to be fast on it. This bike can work with different styles. Johnny's saying that already after two days of testing, there's some areas where he's faster than Top Rack. You'd expect that because Johnny's always good mid-corner, Top Rack isn't. So there's an area where you'd be shocked if Johnny wasn't better than Top Rack straight away. But the Yamaha can be ridden a lot of different ways. There is only one guy that rides it like Top Rack though. And now we'll get to see whether or not having that more traditional style can still be successful on it to be able to try and bring that challenge to Bautista. That's what's fascinating about Ray going to Yamaha, much more so for me than just seeing Johnny on on a new bike. It's, can he replicate what Toprak's been able to do?
1: Obviously not in the same way as what you've just touched on, exactly touched on there, but Johnny's style and a Yamaha seem to be made for each other. High corner speed, smooth, Johnny can adapt as the tyres change and so on, but ultimately, Johnny wants to ride Fogarty style, Hillwood style modern version of but the more smooth and usable the bike is the more Johnny can find the advantages in, all the, in every single corner um, he has had to change that style a couple of times in his career but he still managed to do it now, I think that bike's made for him Um whether or not he'll be able to do the same results as Toprak, with using a completely different style, we'll, we'll soon find out. But he wasn't slow. And that was our first test. And yeah, I just think that everything that's been put in place, if Johnny can't get back into championship contention now, then that's it.
0: I've teased it a little bit in the last couple of weeks, Gordo, that we've got a little bit of a special World SBK show coming up. We've got a roundtable discussion myself and Gordo and we're joined by Ivo Schutzbeck from Speedweek and then Alex Raby that uh, I work with as a commentator. So we talk about it in quite a bit of detail as well about just what it's like for this off-season. rack changes to a BMW, Johnny changes to a Yamaha, One comes in on a Ducati. They're all really interesting stories for so many different reasons. We've only just had two days to be able to basically two days to reset after Jerez Race 2, the most exciting race I can remember. Definitely the most exciting race I've commentated on. And then two days of testing. And now we've just managed to get ourselves back together again, Gordo, at the end of the test. But there's so many things to be excited about. And Sunday's races, they gave us a great springboard into that as well because it wasn't just top rack defending from Bautista. Bautista had to deal with, The GRT Yamahas as well. Domi ended up with two podiums. The first two podiums of his World SBK career. We had Philip Ertl up there as well. We had Petrucci up there. At one stage we had six riders. And all of them. Remy Gardner in the mix as well. All of them would have thought. You know what I've got a chance in this one. And that's even before you go back to the Super Pole race. Where we had Alex Lowe's leading the race as well. Before he ended up having his crash with Toprak. So there's so many things to unpack. From whether we look at the race weekend or whether we look at the test, but it's just an exciting time right now for World SBK. And you wouldn't think that whenever you look at a season that had top rack finishing on the podium 33 times, Bautista winning all those races, should have had the championship won two rounds ago. It shouldn't seem like this is an exciting time for World SBK, but it is.
1: Oh, in terms of the rider lineup, the potency of the machines are going to be on, the experience of the teams are going to be riding for, um, We've seen an awful lot of shuffling of the cards. We haven't even touched on the Kawasaki situation. The Kawasaki Factory team, the one-time unbelievable World Champions who took two, not one, but two different riders to the World Championship in the last 10 years, have changed internally as well. They haven't just got a new signing in Axel Bassani who's getting his factory chance, which he probably needs to develop his career to the next level, even though on paper the Kawasaki is less of a uh, potent motorbike right now in this championship uh, compared to the Ducati but he needs that experience and they've even changed over crew chiefs Alex has gone and changed his crew chief inside Kawasaki so it's not even the new teams or the completely new things even the traditional things have changed this year and inside Yamaha is the same they've changed people and personnel around that to me is, is yeah maybe you need to be as much of an anarch as me but that gets me as excited as anything else
0: well, I'll tell you what, Gordo, just about Bassani very quickly ended up missing out by two points on beating beating Rinaldi for top five in the World Championship. Switches from a Ducati to a Kawasaki. It's going to be one of those situations and he said it after two days of testing that this bike is very different to a Ducati. But this could be one of those situations that works really well because Bassani is he's a rider that probably needs a little bit of technical direction. So having him and Marcel Donker working together could be very good. And then on the other side of the pit box, you've got Lowe's now working with Para Reba. Reba's great at making a rider feel 10 foot tall. Lowe's could probably do it a bit of that, you know, and see if that confidence then leads to something else. Because technically, we always see it every every year we go testing. Lowe's is pretty much, everyone that's worked with him has always said the perfect test rider. He'll go out and he'll do 20 lap runs. He'll do 10 lap runs. He'll be told, just set this as the as the, the benchmark time And then just try and set 10 times around it. And he does that. So he's ideal for all that. But maybe he needs a crew chief that's a little bit less technical. And a little bit more grabby by the scruff of the neck. And why are you doing this? Let's do that. Let's work on this. Let's work on that. And I think that could be something that works out really well for Kawasaki. For bringing the best out of both of those riders.
1: Yeah. And they needed to make some kind of change. It would have been another year with Alex and, and Marcel. And it's been really good. But it's been refreshed. Um, each of those guys in their own role has got a new challenge now. So they're going to be looking at as uh, next year is going to be different for them anyhow. Um, Alex probably will respond, as you say, to Perry. Perry is much more of a get the rider happy and then get the rider fast. Uh, whereas Marcel's get the bike fast, then get the rider um, to understand how to go fast on it. That's what Axel needs. As you say, it's not just it's a technical thing. Marcel was very glowing in his praise and the and the comments he made after and through the PR about Axel's attitude and his ability to understand the bike and come in and say this this and this is what we need to work on and Marcel's like yeah that's true those are the areas we need to to work on so he's already pro- happy with the feedback in a private team any private team even one that's proved to be as potent um, as the relatively fresh. It's not that many years they've moved up from Italian Championship to World Championship in Motocorsa, but there is a limit. There will come a limit because they are not a factory team, and that's what uh, Bassani's been screaming out for as a factory team. It's going. Mean, he it would love to be in the factory Ducati team because then it's much more seamless. And I think the Kawasaki we all know isn't quite as as uh, performance has a level of performance it used to have relative to everything else. Even Johnny struggled on it this year. However. That is going to be whatever happens for next year for Bassani. It's going to be the best year he's had for training, without question, in every regard. And that's how it be with the media. Everything that there's a whole professional factory team. Any factory team will give you all that. And that was what he needed. The next stage, even if maybe the performance might go off, I wouldn't be surprised if both those guys actually make a jump in performance this year. You know, seriously. Because Bassani might not go as hit. He can be very fast sometimes and burn up his tyres just by being too competitive at the early laps. And he can also do the opposite, whereby he's too slow at the beginning and catches speed at the end. You need to get a rider to operate at 99.999 efficiency every lap, every test, all the time. And that, I think, is what Bassani was missing, whatever else Motorcorsa had. Um But no, I, I think it's exciting, and that is I mean, their, their bike's going to be... As far as we can see, not much different. Okay, there's new regulations for everybody. But yeah, but the KRT thing's cool. And that's not one of the most dramatic changes. That's the great thing about it. See, Ian, only we'll get, we haven't even mentioned Sam Lowe's yet. He's coming in a whole new team. You know, that is there any reason why he's not going to do a lot of damage in the results? No, no, that I can see.
0: I think that's an interesting one to bring up as well, Gordo, because like I said, we're kind of moving between the race weekend and the test. But Philip Filibertle was very fast all the way through Jareth. And then Ian O'Neill surprised everyone. Jumping onto the bike immediately inside the top five at the end of two days of running. I think he was nine tenths of a second off the pace. He was going really well. Rinaldi went onto the Motocorsa bike. Did well. We know Bassani's done well in the Motocorsa bike. Obviously, Bulaga will move up from the Supersport bike to the Superbike. Jumped onto it. A 38.7. Only a tenth of a second off the pole. So, we know that the Ducati is a good... Package for almost any type of riding style. So if you're the Mark VDS team jumping up, Sam Lowe's Giovanni Crepi is going to be his crew chief. He's going to have good people around him. So that they should be a very competitive prospect. They're not going to be on test uh, on track until the Horreth test in December. But once they start, you'd certainly imagine they're going to be very competitive.
1: Yeah, and that's no reason why. The big thing to take away from this year though is that despite all the performance advantage and the frustrations we've seen at Portimao of the Ducati just beating the Yamaha no matter how well the Yamaha or Ducati rider were riding at the front, you have to look at this season as only Batista is making full use of that bike. The other guys coming in have to learn not how to ride it like Batista but have to learn how to maximise that bike because this year... The next best, Ducati, was fifth. Look, Locatelli would be, if you took the three great riders of the last 10 years in that championship out of the championship, Locatelli would have won the championship this year on a Yamaha, not a Ducati. So there is an advantage in the cati when you can get the most out of it. And ultimately Alvaro's the only person to do that this year. If and when someone next year gets the maximum out of the... The, the, the whole bike, maybe we're going to have two or three Ducatis fighting each other for the championship while um, Rasgatlioglu gets used to the BMW, while Johnny gets used to the, the Yamaha in a full race situation. You can draw several scenarios, but you're going to have to ride it like Alvaro to, to get the results like Alvaro.
0: I'm interested in that to an extent Gordo, because it's also down to the fact that Bautista is just a better rider than the other Ducati riders Correct. that's something he's shown the whole way through his career Ducati's gone down the route of making sure that they're maximised for Alvaro Bautista that's what's allowed them to win championships if they had a focus on Rinaldi or Bassani or Petrucci or Ertl they're flawed riders right now Danilo Petrucci might well be a two time MotoGP race winner but this year in World SBK he was, he was good not great you know, he had a couple of rounds where he looked really competitive. And then he had a lot of times where he was pretty anonymous as well. You know, and then the second half of the year, he got more and more competitive from Mizano onwards. But you wouldn't put your eggs in his basket and say, he's the guy we're going to back to be a world champion. Whereas Bautista has been that guy for five years since he came into Superbikes in 2019. He's shown that he's got that ability on the Ducati. So I'm interested to see what happens next year. Ona is coming in four years on the couch Trying to get himself competitive in a world championship. Testing two days in Jareth, he looks good. It's very different when you go racing. You mentioned about Lowe's and VDS. That'll be interesting to see how they go because, again, that's a like, even though Sam's a Supersport World Champion, he's a Grand Prix rider coming into Superbikes because he spent 10 years in Moto 2 or one year in Moto GP and, and eight or nine years in Moto 2. So he's got that Grand Prix experience. He comes in and the pressure's on him to be able to perform on that as well. It's going to be really interesting to see who that second Ducati is because obviously the expectation is Bautista is just just going to keep that steamroller rolling.
1: And remember the other Ducati rider in this year that dominated in his class and everybody says is much more suited to be a superbike rider is the guy who went out in that test and the previous test and impressed everybody. So maybe the championship is that you're going to have to beat two Ducati factory riders to be the man next year, not just Bautista. Now, he's a rookie in Superbike and everything else, but he's already shown what he can do. And racecraft wise, we've seen somebody like Dominic Agatha, who was a dominant champion in his two seasons in Super Sport, not look like he was going to do much. And then after he'd finally got it all together, had great races at the end. So yeah, I I think we're it's difficult to know where to look, Steve. I don't know where to look for next year's challengers to Bautista other than the obvious two but they're changing manufacturer, so it might take a while for them to get going
0: Yeah at the end of the day Toprak jumps onto BMW, I fully expect him to win races next year if he's able to string together a consistent championship challenge then he is just flat out the best the best rider I've ever seen because the BMW is close but it's not there for 12 rounds a year so Toprak's got a lot of work to do over the winter
1: what Top right's going to have next year as far as the chassis and everything else is concerned we don't know, but what it will have next year is a more potent engine, power push out the corners and they, with the new regulations coming in you can guarantee BMW are going to stick more weight on the crankshaft to make the bike more rideable and that won't really affect anything, it probably help them in the drive out of corners by giving the tyre and electronics an easier time as long as they get the balance right, they've made wholesale changes in the background. So, what did he left Yamaha? Why would you leave Yamaha? It's the next closest bike to to Ducati for sure. But he lost literally lost races that he knew he could have won this year if he had more power. And because he rides a bike in such a different way, he's not going to have the same problems as the other guys have been having. He might find different other ones that stop him doing what he, th- he, he would be able to do normally, but. And we'll see how it goes until the end of the year. But he will have the missing link in his what he sees as his performance requirement by having a fast, fast BMW. Nothing wrong with that engine in the BMW except its user-friendliness. But it makes power, it's got good top speed, good aero. He could do damage from race one next year, I'm sure of it.
0: The one thing that I'd say about uh, BMW is we never really saw what they were capable of this year for a consistent rider. Girl off yes. the second half of the year, for sure, was the best BMW rider. The start of the year, it was van der Mark. He was the guy who felt confident all the way through the winter. So I'm very curious to see what happens for that bike with a full season because Reading's a good example of it. We actually got a question in Gordo as well. We got a question from Sebastian just asking us, why are the BMWs so far back right now? Because, you know, he's not used to seeing Reading more than five seconds back at the end of a race. Instead, he's 15, 20 seconds back. A big reason for that is, and we saw it at the weekend again, when the bike wasn't good, Scott just parked it. He didn't want to be out there on what might have been a, a, a difficult bike, a dangerous bike. We've seen all the crashes for BMW riders this year. I think that it's going to be very different when you put Top Rack on the bike. He is just going to be getting everything he can out of that package. He's at a different stage of his career. He's at a different level as well, I think it's worth saying, than the other BMW riders. And that's when you've got Van der Mark, Reading and Gerloff, three really good riders. But Toprak's gone on to a Kawasaki and a Yamaha. He's won on both of them. Challenged for a world championship again on the Yamaha this year. Won the championship last year. He's that full package. He will be the one that shows us exactly where the BMW stacks up.
1: The full answer to that question would take longer than we've got, but I'll keep it very, very short. One, everything you say about Scott, a little bit parking it, but yeah, it's, it threw Mikey off too often for, for Scott to maybe have any confidence on any of the BMW riders. Gerloff with, with joined BMW in a kind of trough after his Yamaha career. It kind of wasn't working for him. And he did rejuvenate it, but it took a while. That's understandable. So there's loads of points gone before he got going again. Um, He did a very odd silly crash like it happens. Uh, when you look at Loris, he got a big injury in Mandalika, so that a guy who's won races in the past and still not the oldest, he's 30, um, not not old in World Superbike terms, had a very unlucky year, was affected by that injury. And look at Michael Vandermark, which I think is the one big thing. If Michael Vandermark, having joined BMW, hadn't had any of those major injuries, which he's had over and over and over, unfortunately, I think we'd see a very different BMW platform, results. I think that would feed into the other riders. Mikey's a much better rider than his results are shown. There are no two ways about that for me. Um, he just hasn't had, he's literally not been able to, because he's been in hospital or at home with a broken leg, show what can be really done on it.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that 100%, Gordo. I'm excited to see what Vandermeer can be like for a full season, if he's able to stay injury-free, because he's a rider that sort of flies under the radar a bit, because Mikey's quite... Quiet and shy, and and then once you get to know him, you realise he's nothing like that. But he doesn't, he doesn't go looking for the spotlight. And he's a guy that's been paired up with nothing but fast riders his whole career: Gintoli, Hayden, Lowe's, Razgadioglu, Sykes, Redding. It's a who's who of World SBK. Really, they're all race winners, title contenders, world champions. Whatever you want to look at, all of them have been able to really show how good they are. And Vandermark's never looked out of place against them. He'll be one of those few riders that won't really mind being compared to Toprak because he'll know what his job is to do and it's just focus on that, get the job done, and uh, work towards the next weekend. Yeah,
1: and he, I mean, as you say, he just hates the media attention. He just wants to have a quiet life doing his thing and keep all his aggression and everything else for the motorcycle. Um, unfortunately, he's been so injured so often we can't see what he's done. But look at his career. He was super stock champion, super sport champion, first guy in ages that got podiums and things in Honda, best Dutch rider in world superbike. The guy is quietly achieved and he did well in Yamaha when Yamaha wasn't at the potency that it is now, not quite. Um, Ultimately, he was preferred to, to Lowe's but he's had nothing but bad luck since he joined BMW with injury. So he's just waiting in the trap to be a hundred percent fit and racecraft fit. And then he, and, and then we might see him making another step in his his competitiveness next year. I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that.
0: Gordo, we have a question in as well from RM Dev and they're asking about the additional weight, potentially up to seven kilos for Alvaro Bautista as it stands right now. Do you view this as having any real impact? It's an interesting one because when you talk around the paddock, everyone's kind of just saying it's not really going to have that big of an impact just because Ducati have got their full revs back. That should counteract it down the straight. It is going to make it more difficult for Alvaro to hustle that bike around because every time we ride on board with someone chasing him, you're seeing how hard he's actually having to ride that bike. It's not an easy bike to ride for him even though he's made winning look easy.
1: Yeah, I mean... What I think or don't think isn't actually important and I've found exactly the same experience. It's very I'm,
0: important on this podcast, no, Portal.
1: Yeah, yeah, but what I mean is at the end of the day, I'm not uh, I can understand how motorbikes work and, and if somebody explains the tech to me, I usually follow it. I used to be an engineer many years ago, so I can follow things when clever people take me down the right road with it. And everybody that I've had the chance to speak to uh since that thing was unveiled, the last thing that they think it's going to make any difference is the weight it's going to make a difference psychologically and obviously a little bit in the physics of it for Bautista because one thing that he had absolutely in his locker is now a little bit less, so he's been used to a bike which is better this year than last year and in pure performance terms might actually, for him and very few other people because of the way the very complicated new rules work will be a bit worse than last year. Even though he's going to get his revs back, apparently. Everybody's going to go back to the the revs they had before we started doing all the penalties or gifts this year. So he's going to lose one and gain gain another thing. So particularly for him, it might make no difference whatsoever. But he's already mentioned it in his comments at the test about the way it's going to make things a bit more difficult. I think it's more psychological than actual. And we'll see. The other thing for Alvaro next year... He's won two world championships. He nearly never came back this year. He's he's probably on a kind of rolling contract from what we can see where he he can chuck it or Ducati can chuck him season by season. Maybe next year when he lines up and he finds it's not as easy, you won't see the same hunger. Now, I doubt it. I doubt it. Because racers are racers and wouldn't it be great for him he won three in a row? But... You know, maybe things psychologically be different for him because of the weight more than anything else.
0: Yeah, and this is something that we dive into in a lot more detail really in the World SBK Roundtable that we have coming up in a couple of weeks' time. But Gorda, we have another question in as well from Niels just about the calendar having been announced. 12 rounds next year, 11 inside Europe, only one flyaway and Niels is just wondering about what it feels like. It's a little bit odd to only have that Australian race.
1: It feels rubbish, but I understand really well why it's happened and it you, know, you can't really blame the organisers because two people they've got agreements with and contracts with and the full expectation of going to race at those long-haul races have pulled the plug. One of them this year, on the championship this year. So this year and next year we won't be going to Argentina and Mandalika, where we had rumours for a long time about they didn't want to have a superbike race because they can't make it pay, um, They've suddenly now built a massive racetrack and everything else, and then realised that you can't fit that many people on the island, um, and a country that's far more mad about MotoGP and has got no money. I'm sure there's millions of people in Indonesia would love to go to Lombok for MotoGP and hundreds of thousands that would love to go for World Superbike, but they can't afford to do it even at lower prices. So it wasn't it wasn't predictable to lose two of your three long hauls when you've got contracts that apparently had been honoured and, you know, that officially were not in any trouble until suddenly they were pulled. So they've had to scrabble around and, you know, we can't go... There were certain tracks in Europe that would have been good replacements, but, yeah, they got a bit hoodwinked. They got... Not hoodwinked. They got a bit caught out. And it's very difficult to persuade people to run world superbike races in the current economic climate because they have to pay so the, the long haul difficulty is not good but I don't know what was supposed to be done about it um, in a month you know since all these things started becoming official
0: Cremona added to the calendar a new circuit for us Gordo. Hungary added as well nice to go back to Hungary I haven't, I haven't been to Hungary for a race so I'm excited to go there and uh, Cremona at the end of September is going to be interesting when I was in Hareth, I was chatting to some of the people from the circuit and they said it looks like three years of Horeth hosting the last round of the year. I'll sign off on that. Perfect. Um, and ideal for everyone, really. But uh, I don't mind us going to places like Cremona. I know that like, whenever it came up in the calendar, I think that it was probably the busiest day that the Cremona circuit's ever had on their website servers. But a new circuit, we'll wait and see what it's like. I know Sam Lowe's tested there whenever he was trying to get his shoulder back. After his injuries, he was out there on his on R his one just doing his training days. And, you know, we'll see what it's like. It's, at the end of the day, we have to go to places that want to have World SBK. And the championship, everyone wants it to be as big and successful as it can be. But the championship is also filled with realism. We know the challenges that there are. And like you said, Gordo, if we have to have 11 races in Europe, it's for a very valid reason. Hopefully that's not the case going forward. I still think that, and when you talk to people from Laguna, they're very keen to have us back at Laguna Seca. When you talk to people at Honda, they're very keen to have a race in Japan. They own two racetracks in Japan. So whether or not that means that you end up having, just say, super sport and super bikes, or just a super bike standalone race, like it would probably be for Laguna, I think it's one of those things that's, always there in the back of the mind about something that could happen.
1: There is plenty of opportunity for long hauls, it's just that the model that existed before might not be the way that we can make that happen whether that's fees or anything else Um, yeah, an 11 round in Europe World Championship is is not the game it's not what the game was supposed to be playing, so there maybe has to be a bit of a reset between the FIM and all the countries that are involved I don't see any reason why we don't go to every continent because the FIM is a um, continental-based organisation. You get national FIM, then continental congresses and so on. I don't understand why we can't get FIM help. I mean, Donna run the championship and FIM do certain aspects of it, but I don't understand why there can't be push from the FIM to help their promoter to have a race in all those territories, if they're, they're the ones that are calling it a world championship. You know, you're fighting for a world championship. Donna can't do certain things because it's a world championship. There's certain sporting things that national championships can do that, that that would not be allowed, really, by the FIM. Because, first and foremost, it's a sport. It's a contest. It's a competition. It's also an entertainment. It has to be an entertainment. So it's a very complicated thing, Steve, The calendar is always difficult. I will say this for Cremona and Balaton Ring. One, they have to be properly safe, and there's a couple of things at least that have to be done in Cremona. I don't know about Balaton Ring. I haven't really had time to look into the whole thing that closely. But look at Most. There is one corner in Most that we still really need to sort out for rider safety. It's a bit tight in some other places, but what of those three events been like since we've been there that's three years we've been there yeah three years they they are some of the best races I've got the racetrack's unique 21 23 corners depending on how you count them it's mad and it's a really characterful place difficult in some ways but it's also a fabulous place to watch racing to be at a bit cramped but with a massive drama at most every single year we've been there and we all thought mm, we kind of most? you yeah, Really? But it's turned out to be a great round. Needs further improvement.
0: 21 or 23 corners, depending on how you count them. I'll tell you what, Gordo, I hope you count up your invoices as incorrect. <laughs>
1: no. No, i am have to interject here because I did uh, most, I think with Scott Redding for the, the, the track guide in the official programme. One of the things I do is write most of the text for the official programmes at weekends. And going through it all, you, he said, well, that's not really a corner. Oh, no, I'll tell you who it was. Locatelli. That's not really a corner. Mm, no, we take all that in one. Whatever. You know, I mean, it's it, it, what you see written down in a piece of paper is not necessarily what the riders are telling you. And maybe the 300 riders think there's more corners than the superbike riders or vice versa.
0: There's a few of those 300 riders think there's about 300 corners around some tracks. Out yeah, there. but
1: yeah, but they also think they're 300 foot tall.
0: Gordo, I'll tell you what, let's let's move on a little bit now to next season as well. We're doing a bit of counting there. There's going to be, what, six Ducatis on the grid next year. All those seats confirmed. There's going to be six Yamahas on the grid next year. Still waiting for confirmation on some of them. There's going to be four Hondas. We've just had it where your fellow Scotsman Taz McKenzie finally confirmed as a, as a superbike rider next year. No real surprise for that. No surprise as well. Adam Noridan stepping up. I think we mentioned it, you know, a couple of rounds ago in Portimao, I think, was where we first really heard that that was going to happen. Then you got the four BMW riders confirmed, led by Top Racket Course. Kawasaki will have four bikes on the grid next year. It's just been confirmed. Isaac Vinales will be on the Pedagini bike. The Pichetti team we saw at the weekend have their best weekend of the season. They got more support from Kawasaki. Pretty much the exact same spec of bikes as what Provec run. on. Tito Rabat suddenly was thrown a World SBK lifeline, came away with some decent results, you know, scored points in the races, which is good for Tito this year. So we'll see if he stays on that bike next year. But Gordo, one of the big interesting stories from the test was obviously Yamaha. It was about Johnny Ray jumping onto the bike for the first time. And I thought it was really interesting how his Kawasaki tenure ended. Because for a man that had so much success, unbelievable success at uh, Kawasaki, it pettered out the last few years. The wet weather win at Most, or the changeable conditions at Most this year, gave him a chance to win that race. As it was, Johnny hasn't looked like winning a race since we went back to Europe last year. So almost two full seasons, where he's been struggling away for what he would have expected, he saw there was a chance there was a chance to go out in style on Sunday. He had a podium in the Super Bowl race. From the front row of the grid, he gets a good start. He leads the race. And then we saw why he's leaving Kawasaki. Crash on the front end and his hopes are dashed. But he had to ride like a madman when he got to the front. That was his only way to win. So he'll obviously view it that the Yamaha is going to give him more, more leeway. More of an opportunity to be able to... Dictate things rather than having to just react to the bike.
1: Yeah, I think the those two bikes in terms of power and top speed, acceleration, etc., are all quite well matched. Um, but as I said earlier, I think the Yamaha should set Johnny's style a bit better. That second race, though, they made a mega change in his setup. Perry, realizing it wasn't working, made a mega change in his setup. That's why Johnny said he could. He went. He went as fast as he could because suddenly the bike was allowing him to go as quick. I'm beginning to think maybe they should have tried that radical change in the setup earlier in the season and given Johnny more time to get used to it. Because all that went wrong was that because it was a new setup, when Johnny entered that corner a wee bit too hot and a bit squirrely, as he described it, he didn't know the limits of the bike because he'd only, you know, he was literally riding it. I think he did four laps and then fell off. So with more time, that could have been a different result. Um, you can't say that a bike that was capable of winning a world championship th- four years ago, four seasons ago, um, and is still let Johnny compete as hard as he did last year. Okay, it's tailed off this year because everybody's got better. But I think they went the wrong direction at the beginning of the season. If they went to the direction that they had in hereth, whether it's set up, whether it was changing the bike, because they rehomologated in the winter to let them do a couple of things, they didn't get the five hundred revs. They did then get the five hundred race, but weren't allowed to use it. I think that Kawasaki next year might be a very different animal because what it's been traditionally good at is doing full races at pace. What they lost this year was ability to do full races in any kind of high temperatures. Him or Alex, they just toiled, toiled front, back, front tire, back tire, everything. It just looked like incredible hard work, and Johnny had to ride out of Skinty to, to be beaten by lesser riders. Let's face it, I mean, everybody in that championship except top bracket and arguably Alvaro isn't anywhere near as, as high the capabilities of Johnny. Although he's getting the end of his career, so maybe he's lost a little bit that won't come back on Yamaha. That to me is the most fascinating thing. If he has an early four good early rounds to start, Johnny's back. I mean, properly back, because that's how he rolls, gets himself in a good championship position and then uses his head, his motivations without question, uses the the abilities his bike, doesn't get carried away, other people might start crashing Johnny and and Johnny suddenly keeping himself in there. I'm prepared, and this is a great thing Steve, for anything next year, and I mean anything. Look at tell me that ten riders can't be in the top three next year. Tell me they can't now, and I'll say I'll find twenty arguments why you're wrong.
0: That's an interesting one, Gordo. That's an interesting (laughs) one. Not saying
1: champion. I'm not saying champion. I'm not saying champion. I'm saying top three. Tito Rabat. No. Best weekend
0: of the season last weekend in Haret.
1: Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) but you look at the other the other talents that are there on good bikes, especially that wall of uh, Ducatis. You know, Remy Gardner came good at the weekend. Look at... Remember that all-time classic, wonderful second race? Dominic Agata on a privateer, not even a factory Yamaha, was 0.3 seconds behind the wee yellow bike and the big blue bike. 0.3 seconds after all those laps of her death?
0: Come on. I think for me, Gordo... I can think of 10 riders that can win races next year.
1: Ah.
0: I, I don't think of 10 riders that can be top three in the World Championship.
1: Well, maybe that's what I meant.
0: If I look at it for Ducati, Bautista's obviously going to win races. You're not going to be surprised if Petrucci, Lowe's, Bulaga are able to do something there as well. Ianone is the wild card. I'm not going to read too much into two days of testing. I'll wait and see how the rest of the winter goes. But you're not going to be too surprised with those other riders if they're able to come in and, and do something special. You look at Yamaha, Johnny's going to win races. Outside of that, is Locatelli going to win races? He could. He very well could. But he also should have won races in the last couple of years as well. Maybe now with Top Rack on the BMW, maybe it opens up an opportunity for someone like Locatelli as well. Domi and Gardner at the end of the day, it's a big step from two podiums in a weekend to winning races next year for Domi. Remy has been actually pretty solid the last four rounds of the season. He's been top 10 all the way through. He's gotten faster and faster. So that's that's a good opportunity for him. On the other Yamahas, it's actually going to be interesting to see who lines up on them. Brad Ray looks like he's going to be on the GMT-94 bike because they've got the freight to go to Australia. That's a key thing for him. And then maybe Philip Erthel after a really good weekend in Hereth manages to find a lifeline to either be on the Pachetti Kawasaki or the Moto X Yamaha. We'll wait and see where it'll up. When you look at Honda, there's no winning races going on at Honda next year. BMW, Toprak's going to win races. Vandermark in changeable conditions could easily win races. Redding and Gerloff, you're not going to be surprised if Scott Redding's in the mix at somewhere like Most again and able to, to challenge for it. Him being on the Bonovo bike is actually going to be really interesting to see how how different he, he performs with a different team around him.
1: And also, I'm pretty sure, um, I haven't got my stats in front of me to double check, but I think that the Bonovo team, as a team, actually beat the BMW factory team this year in the Teams Championship. I don't know if you've got your stats there, Steve, but I reckon they beat them by like six points or something. You know, so the Bonovo bike is clearly not any different and BMW make a point of that. So all it's changes is the, in theory, the public status of of riding, being a rider, but you know, the, basically, that is a factory team, and it'll probably be, you know, it might be um, the best thing that's ever happened to him, as you say, because the pressure will be off for the factory team. Um, but yeah, the the Bonovo bike is 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 the same as anything else. It's just rider preference. One wants this swing arm, one wants that front fork, one wants this handlebar setting Within the cost limits and the availability of what they're allowed to run, they've all got different prefaces. But that seems genuine. Every rider, every BMW rider says the same thing. They've got what they want.
0: And for Bonovi, alright Gordo, it was the Bonovi team ahead of the factory team. That's obviously skewed with all the injuries that happened for van de Mark. We didn't get to see the best from him. Then you throw Tom Sykes into the mix. Sykes did well at at uh, Mizano, and was actually going well at Donington before his crash, and then you put Haslam on the bike, Lopez on the bike, so it's a little bit skewed, but then on the other hand, you had uh, Loris Baz with a foot hanging off for a couple of rounds this year as well, so it swings and roundabouts. Just to go back to it as well, Gordo, for next season, you throw into the mix Lowe's and Bassani on the Kawasaki, you know Lowe's is always going to be in the mix for some decent results and. Well I mentioned Kawasaki Gordo so the the green lows but it's one of those ones Gordo where for Kawasaki like you said it could be a case of one step back to lose Johnny to potentially make two steps forward with having to then push the bike forward because your margin for error is gone so that's something that's going to be worth, interest, worth keeping an eye on all the way through the off season.
1: Yeah I mean end of the day all the great riders mask problems with their bikes and you only find it out when they leave um, Kenny Roberts at Yamaha Wayne Rainey at Yamaha people who just overperform in such a regular way that it allows people to not see where the, the faults are and the riders always say oh it's me, it's me, it's me I'm I'm the one making the difference uh, Johnny was the one making the difference and you, you don't believe me, ask Perry Reba you know, he's every other every time Johnny did an amazing race and the bike was better than the others Perry just put it all, he said look Johnny is the difference he talked for a while about the bike and then he go well, look, 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 Johnny's the difference but that's a good lineup. Alex Lowes is as fast as anybody when he on his day, and Bassani is probably the most talented of the riders who hasn't been given a factory opportunity yet. Rinaldi had years of factory bikes and only just beat Bassani on the final day because Bassani get knocked off three was it three times for real? It was three times, wasn't it? Yeah. He knocked off twice or crashed once. I mean, so he would have actually beaten the factory bike. So, we're talking about a genuine talent. How much is he the next Jonathan? No, you know, but he, he, he could be a far higher performer than we think, but it might take
0: him till the end of the year. Gordon, one last thing before we finish off. The calendar for next year also showed that we're going to have Super Sport 300 at the last race of the year, and we're also going to have the Women's World Championship starting up as well. So, a uh, press conference at the weekend just to confirm the details of it. Nothing that was really two surprising six rounds starting in Misano. That's actually going to be a double weekend with the Yamaha or three cup as well. And we're going to have the r sevens. It looks like Carrasco is definitely going to be on the bike. That's something that's been said all the way through the last couple of months. And Maria Herrera looks like being on it. We had Beatrice Nela at the press conference as well and doing a demo lap. There's a fair bit of resources being put into it. It's going to be two races a weekend and Saturday, Sunday races, I think.
1: Yeah. It's a very interesting one because, uh, it's a, obviously a single-mate championship, so you will end up seeing who is the best female racer that who decides to come and race in the championship. But I've I've seen people with very hard feelings towards it, as well as those that are supporting it. It's really strange. It's as if that you have to race the guys. Well, motorcycle racing, especially the bigger bikes you get on, is very difficult for women riders because you have to be phenomenally strong. And men, just physiologically... Are stronger than women, pound for pound, height for height, everything else. It's just nature. It's the way it is. Um and that if you don't believe me, ask Patrice the who said it all from the podium when when they launched the thing. She said this is for championship so that people can know who's the best woman rider. And some people asked, What is it an end point or is this a stepping stone to to race in, in the the Super Sport World Championship, whatever? Well, it's both those things. Think about tennis, golf, anything like that. You have a women's Wimbledon champion and a men's Wimbledon champion. You put the men up against the women in a sport like tennis, then the men are going to win hugely. It's just physiological. It's not any kind of uh, sexist comment. That is just a fact of life. Women's football teams would get beaten by equivalent, i.e. Man City, Man City, football teams would get beaten by the men because of the physical side of it what this championship is going to do is level that playing field where it's all women and you will have the chance to see who is the women's world champion and it's significant, it's not a championship, it's a world championship, so they're making that both a destination and end point and anybody who wins that out of the park has got to be in with a good shout to get a, a good ride in a in any of the other open if you want to call them championships
0: I'm interested in it, Gordon, and I'm excited to see how it all plays out. But it's very similar to how I felt going into Super Supersport 300 when it started. The depth of field in 300s, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast over the years, the depth of field in 300s at the start was so shallow. You know, you had Anna Carrasco and Scott DeRue came in. There were Moto3 riders that hadn't cut it at Moto3 level. So if you weren't able to beat them, you weren't going to get a chance to go to Grand Prix levels. But over the years, the 300 field got deeper and deeper. We had people like Manuel Gonzalez that came through. He's going to be a Moto2 title contender next year. He's a guy that's won the World Championship in the 300s. If he had a stayed in Supersport, would have won a Supersport World Championship, you'd have to say. And then he moved to Moto2, and he's given himself a real chance of having a Grand Prix career. The Women's Championship is going to be something like that. And it's where you kick it off as a World Championship to give it that level of credibility. But it's now going to be a question of how long it takes to actually really gain that respect that's needed. And that only comes from having a deeper field and seeing good close racing and actually getting something that shows there's 15, 20 riders in this field all capable of being able to win races. Because that's what 300 evolved into. But it took time. So the first weekend that Misano compared to the last weekend of the season compared to year two, year three, year four you want to see that progression because this isn't one of those things that's just a flash in the pan. It's when a world championship is inaugurated, it's there for the foreseeable future.
1: And I think it's quite important to make, to, it's one of those under the radar things, but ultimately they chose not to do this world championship on 400s. They're doing it on R7s, which is very track focused, twin cylinder bike, etc. It's not a small bike. It's a proper whatever you want to call it, if you, proper, I, mean, I think those 400s are proper bikes, are just small and a bit slower, but this, it's on a proper bike. So people are going to have to. You will see the difference because when the faster and, and more power you give the same group of riders, you start shedding the wheat from the chaff, the chaff from the wheat, as soon as you get more and more power. Loris Bars was very against the 300s because he said you need a six hundred to show that you can ride a faster bike, to show that you're better, you can handle the power, you can keep the tyre longer, whatever. And and he was right. I, I agree with your point about 300s now, but ultimately doing it on R7s is a good move because it's a big enough bike to show when the riders are winning, they are better. It's not just luck where you are getting punted off in the last corner, like 300s can be too often.
0: I also think it's good that we're waiting until Mizano to start it because it gives them time to find the riders, yeah. test, build up to it and then hit the ground running at round one. Gordo, we'll obviously be back in uh, a couple of weeks. We're going to post that uh, World SBK Roundtable discussion. Myself, yourself, Evo, and Alex just get, getting ourselves a state of the union for Superbikes ready. It's an interesting chat. So keep an eye out on your podcast channels for that. Obviously enough, we'll also have David, Adam and Neil bringing us up to date for the first of the last of the uh, triple header races coming up now next week as well. So we'll be doing a preview for that next week. And then also on patreon.com forward slash Podcast, we'll have our paddock note show all the way through the Grand Prix weekends for the last three rounds of the year. So sign up to that, become a paddock insider, and get all the latest news all the way through a Grand Prix weekend. Gordo, as ever, thanks for all your time during the course of this World SBK season. And uh, no doubt we'll be getting you back on over the winter.
1: Great, mate. I, I really enjoy it. I'm glad the season's over, but I can't wait for the next one. It's the same every year.
0: It is the same every year. I kind of get home, I, I unpack my bag, I get me washing done, and then I'm ready to go again. I was <laughs> ready to go pretty much. Once the checkered flag fell for race two in Horeth, I was kind of like, I can't wait until we get to do this again. And I think it's one of those things that, Every off-season, there's something that's worth looking forward to. But this off-season, like you mentioned a few times, Gordo, there's 10 or 15 things to look forward to. So we're going to keep everyone up to date all the way through the winter with the latest in the World SBK paddock. Big thanks to Renthal Street for supporting the podcast. Obviously, makes a big difference for us to have support from Renthal, so it really is appreciated. And like I said, check out our Patreon as well if you want to support the podcast. Gordo, thanks for joining us all the way through the season. And thanks to everyone for listening to all of our World SBK shows through the year.